Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. Hey, guess what? We want to hear from you specifically. We have been doing the Money Advantage podcast for over three years, and we've covered a lot of ground, financially speaking. But if you have been listening and you have not heard us answer your burning question, we would love to be able to do that. So we have a great new way for you to be able to communicate your specific thoughts and ask us a question that we can answer live on the show. If you go to themoneyadvantage.com, you can click on the link at the top right-hand corner that says, send us a voicemail. And you can record a voicemail that we can play on the air. Now, this can be done from your desktop or even from a cell phone. It's literally so simple, and it's a way for you to be able to share your thoughts with us so that we can give the most specific, clarifying answers to you, because that really energizes us. All right, good morning, and welcome back to the Money Advantage podcast. We are live today on Facebook and YouTube. We're having a fabulous conversation, and if you are interested in looking for opportunities to invest for cash flow, something we talk about all the time here at the Money Advantage, this conversation is going to be really interesting to you because we're talking to Dave Zook. Am I saying your name correctly? Yes. Okay, just wanted to double check and make sure. Dave Zook of The Real Asset Investor. It's going to be a real treat to have him on the show today. Dave, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on your show. I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. Well, we are going to talk about a lot of things because your experience runs the gamut from multifamily, apartments, self-storage, and really interestingly, ATM machine investing, probably something that has never crossed the radar of anyone who's listening, unless you've met Dave Zook or heard of him somewhere else. So if today you're interested in investing for cash flow in real assets, this conversation is going to be really eye-opening and insightful for you. So we'll just go ahead and jump right into the conversation. We're normally talking about things that will help you be able to use privatized banking in a way that is going to stack your investments and increase your cash flow and increase your stability and your trajectory and your path towards creating time and money freedom. And that's what we're going to be all about discussing today. And Bruce, thank you so much for being with us on this conversation as well. I'll let you talk before I introduce Dave officially. Sure. Uh, you know, I, I think that when we bring on, on guests like Dave, it really um, should open people's mindset uh, to that cash flow is the thing that is most important going into the future, even if the, we don't talk about retirement, we talk about just, you know, uh, setting your life up so that you don't even think about retiring. But, you know, even if you do think about retiring, um, people think it's about building up this big pile of money. And that big pile of money does nothing for you unless it produces cash flow. And, um, you know, there's a lot of worries about that, about maintaining that big cash, uh, a big pile of cash. Well, if you actually invest in cash flowing assets, then that's what, what you can spend is that cash flow. You can't spend a big pile of money without actually uh, taking that pile and making it smaller and smaller and smaller. And that's what people fear when they have a big pile of money. So everybody listen to Dave, and he's going to enlighten you on some uh, new concepts um, that we're going to share with our listeners today. Awesome. Well, Dave, before we tell too much about you, I'd love to hear from yourself. Tell us what you do and how you got into this work in the first place. 
So I'll, I'll, I'll switch it the other way around. I'll tell you how I got there first and then I'll tell you what I do. How about that? Awesome. So we, uh, so I grew up in a, uh, family who, um, had a long history of, of modular building, bu building modular buildings. And I, so I was exposed to that and growing up, I worked in the business and eventually started investing in businesses. I realized that I didn't want to invest in real estate, thought I didn't want to invest in real estate because I watched my dad invest in real estate and he was self-managing some, some of his single family homes. And I just thought, you know, that's, that's not for me. We're going to do something else. So I started investing in businesses, got myself in a position where some of those businesses started doing really well. Um, had to, uh, this was almost a decade ago, got myself a, a, a tax bill of around $500,000. And it just wasn't so much fun anymore after I realized that despite all the blood, sweat, and tears and all the hours, and you know, I, I was having so much fun, it didn't even feel like work. But when I had to give half of my money back to the government, it took a lot of the fun out of it. Oh, and sure. So I started, so I started uh, researching and reading and ran into Robert Kiyosaki and the real estate guys and Tom Wheelwright. And, and, you know, I really started studying, okay, what, what is Robert Kiyosaki talking about when he's saying you can make millions of dollars a year and not pay any tax legally? Because I was always taught you got to pay tax. You know, if you make a lot of money, you got to pay a lot of tax. And so that's what chased me into the multifamily apartment space. I realized that investing in real estate or specifically apartments at the time was a great way to not only build uh, streams of income, but it was also a tax protection vehicle. And so I got into the multifamily apartment space, took my tax liability down to uh, somewhere in the zero to 3% range. And that's where mm -hmm. it's been ever since. Uh, today, um, over the last decade, I've ventured into, you know, several different asset classes, um, beyond multifamily. In fact, I haven't bought a, a multifamily apartment complex since 2018. In fact, we're selling some of them, uh, have sold some of them over the last year or two. Um, but I've gotten into self-storage, um, about, all about 10 years ago, I got into the ATM space as a passive investor and, um just really liked the asset class, really liked it personally. I invested in, in, in that asset class personally for several years before I was approached by the sponsorship team to come on as a partner. And uh, I eventually ended up partnering with the team and really scaled that business a lot. And today, well, back then it was kind of, kind of a, a friends and family sort of asset class or investment uh, that we had put together. And uh, today we're one of the top five ATM operators in the country. That is just so fascinating. And I think um, really enlightening to think about your history and really the upbringing that you had and how that helped you um, say, let's do something differently. But then you were faced with this problem of tax specifically and saying, how in the world am I going to have fun doing my work? make a lot of money and not lose all of it. And I think that's something that people need to hear on a regular basis as well. It's really not about just how much you make. So Bruce, you brought a really great distinction 
I almost said extinction, distinction in the beginning where you talked about the difference between pile of cash or streams of income. There's another distinction that if you just make a lot of money, but you're not keeping any of it, you're really in a challenging, difficult position. So what you're saying, Dave, is I made a bunch of money. You probably made about a million that year. You said then about half of it you paid in tax, which is a giant money leak. That's not improving your life. It's not something that you're putting aside, you're protecting, you're controlling, you're turning into more income. And if you can just reduce that money leak of taxes by thinking differently and thinking strategically, now you're in a position where you're not only keeping more, you have more to put to work and to be able to invest for the future. And so it's just really interesting how that led you through this trajectory of figuring out new asset classes. And um, this is going to be a great conversation. So let's go back to you meeting Robert Kiyosaki. He was a really big part of my start as well. I read his book in eighth grade and just had this thing in the back of my mind. I need to invest in businesses and real estate at some point. How do I get there as quickly as possible? So my assets are going to create cash flow for me. So tell us about a time. I I know that you, I think you went on the cruise with the real estate guys and you talked to Robert Helms and you met Kiyosaki. Tell us about that and why it was really important for you to be able to figure out what people are knowing the right thing and and be able to um, build those relationships. Well, Rachel, I, I wish I had read Rich Dad, Poor Dad when I was in the eighth grade. I was about 30 years old when I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And so it, it impacted my life. But no, I, I was, um, you know, it's, it, it's funny how when you, the, the times when you learn the most is when you're experiencing either great pleasure or great pain. And so, and so going through that time of, you know, having to come up with a couple hundred thousand dollars in a few days on April 15th, having to go through that and realizing that, oh my goodness, all that work and effort, um, I, I, I got to give half of it back and, um, or almost half of it back. And so I, I just went into a deep dive and started studying and reading and listening to podcasts and trying to get, you know, get around people who were in the position where I wanted to be. So I had to get, I had to figure out how to get around Robert Kiyosaki and his team. And so I was listening to the real estate guys podcast and they started talking about this cruise. And I thought, man, that sounds like a lot of fun, but there was no way. I mean, I was, I was running several different businesses and just really, really busy. And, um, but when they announced that Robert Kiyosaki, his tax guy, his real estate guys, or his, his real estate guy, Ken McElroy, his oil guys, um, all those guys were, were going to be on the ship, I, I said, you know what, that, we'll figure it out. I'm going. So that put me in touch with um, a lot of those guys. And since then, Tom Wheelwright and I have become good friends. Uh, I've been on his show um, been on some, in some of his curriculum and, and, uh, just, you know, really good guys. So getting around the right kind of people, um, put me in the position where I got to learn a lot and then went out in the street and took action. That's awesome. And, and Bruce, you're welcome to talk about, um, Tom Wheelwright and the way that we have the relationship in terms of being able to work with his team as well. But it's it's really interesting how you're talking about being in the room with the right people. And we've heard that so many times and we know that to be true. And it's interesting how we can all feel like there's a million things we need to learn and we need to spend 500 years gaining all this knowledge and information. And sometimes you can just really circumvent all of that by getting with the right people. And it's 
it's profound what you were able to accomplish with that and how true that is. It's a big, giant shortcut for sure. So Dave, talk a little bit about, you said you just, you, you've sold some of your multifamily. Uh, talk to the listeners about how you tried to miti- mitigate the taxes from the, um, from, the, from the sale of those particular properties. And then also talk about, and I don't know if this is true, uh, although maybe Section 179 with the ATMs, although that would, that seem, that would seem to be kind of, kind of small. Is there any kind of tax mitigation that you do with the uh, ATM investments? So yeah, two there was two questions there, and I'll I'll hit on both of them. But yes, so what we do is well, since late 2017, early 2018, when we got the new Trump tax law, we can now use bonus depreciation, not not only Section 179, but bonus depreciation, which has fewer restrictions than Section 179. But so we can take 100% bonus depreciation in year one. Mm-hmm. So I've been able to uh, keep control of my tax liability and keep that under control by using assets with 100% bonus depreciation. So I could you I use, quickly, could you quickly uh, explain that bonus sure. depreciation? So let's say you sell an asset for a profit, and now you take that money and you purchase an asset that gives you 100% bonus depreciation. So Let's um, and we can, you know, we'll talk about, you know, how the how the ATM business works later. But let's just say you invest one hundred and four thousand dollars in a unit of ATMs, and you get a hundred and you get a first year one hundred percent bonus depreciation. You can write off that whole one hundred four thousand dollar investment. And so, if you got one hundred four thousand dollars in profit, you can take the investment. Uh, on the one side of ATMs, and you can offset the capital gains on the other side. And there's, it has to fit what's going on. And this is not a one size fits all. You know, it has to fit with what's going on in your global picture. And you got to do some planning with your CPA. Number one, you should have a really good CPA on your team that 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 you know isn't afraid to get creative and think outside the box and really get strategic on this stuff because that's what that's all it is. It's strategy. Mm-hmm. And so right now, this time of the year in December, you know, fourth quarter and specifically December, you know, my CPA and I are, are, are talking about, well, you know, what do I have? How much income did I make on the passive income side? How much in- income did I make on the on the active income side? What did I sell this year? And and so we're put, kind of putting together this global picture of, OK, I need so much in depreciation on the active side, so much in depreciation on the on the passive side. And that's how you get control of your tax liability by getting together with your CPA, getting strategic on what you're doing going forward, and then using things like bonus depreciation, captive insurance, uh, you know, just just using all those tools in the toolbox to get yourself in a position where you're not ending up paying 37% tax. And, you know, when, uh, and you were talking about this earlier, Bruce, about how you can stack and how you can build your cash flow streams. I would say if you go out and make a ton of money and, and you do all those things and you don't consider your tax liability, I mean, it's just, it's just a momentum killer. You know, when you can get your tax, you know, cause you mentioned Rachel, when, when, when you can then take that those dollars that you would have paid in tax and you can turn around and then buy more assets that'll give you more depreciation. It's like a, that's how you build momentum. 
And it's like you're building a giant snowball that just keeps rolling. So I, this is, we always talk about active tax planning instead of passive tax planning. Mm -hmm. And uh, we do, we are a a firm in St. Louis that has two people that are certified wealth ability uh, tax planners uh, that have gone through Tom Wilwright's complete program. I've gone through his satellite programs and we believe in, in, uh, in his philosophy 100%. The one thing I want our listeners to uh, understand, and I, Dave, I hope you can, uh, um, encourage people to think this way too, is that these, these things are in the tax laws as incentives. Um, I detest the word loophole. It, it drives me crazy because I think loophole has a negative connotation and politicians try to use it as a way to shame people into paying more taxes so that they can actually spend our, our money in, in the way that they think is best, not the way that we think is best. And so this is not what Tom Wilwright Kiyosaki, any good CPA does is they do not they do not um, do anything to illegally evade the tax code. They mm-hmm. simply use the incentives that are built into the tax code to actually maximize your uh, net worth, so that you can then take that net worth with you just said, Dave, and go buy more assets. And when you do that, you're helping out other people. Also, this is what people do not understand when they talk about. Uh, tax, uh, tax uh, evasion or tax loopholes. They think, oh, you're taking advantage of the situation. No, you're actually stimulating the economy by doing this. And that is why they actually put these into the tax code as incentive to stimulate the economy. Uh, one thing uh, you were talking about the Tax and Jobs Act is these opportunity zones that were put into the, the tax code, where you can also take uh, capital gains and actually uh, previously, you could eliminate some of it. You're, we're past kind of that part, but you can actually defer it to to 2026. And um, all these things were put in to stimulate that that particular one was to stimulate uh, progress or building in lower income areas. And so, people that think that uh, oh, you're taking this out of uh, welfare programs or programs to help the poor. Actually, it's this one did the exact opposite. It was actually stimulating these areas. So, Dave, can you can you talk about um, a little bit about the eight? Because I'm I'm fascinated by your ATM business. Can you talk about the kind of how you you use the tax advantages for the ATM? Is it simply the bonus depreciation? Yeah, and and, and just going back to what you mentioned there, I always say, look, if you're getting hit with a big tax bill. That's your fine or your penalty from the government for not doing what the government wants you to do. Mm-hmm. Why do you, why do they put all those things in the tax bill to allow you to uh, offset your tax liability? Well, they want to direct those, those funds, those dollars to where they want them to go. You, you mentioned OZ, OZ areas or OZ funds to build up low income areas. They, they want that. So, they're rewarding you for doing what they want you to do. So if you're ended up with a big tax bill at the end of the year, you didn't do what the government wants you to do, and that's your fine or your penalty. So going back to your question about ATMs, what we do is is we take – so there's two ways you can use this. So you could come in and take 100% bonus depreciation, and you could offset some other income that you're making, some capital gains, some depreciation recapture. There's a bunch of things that you can do with that depreciation. Um, but if you do nothing, if you just get the ATMs, you, 
you uh, sit there and let them do their thing. They, they cash flow. And uh, what happens is the depreciation from your purchase of the ATMs will offset the cash flow, will offset the tax liability on the cash flow or the income stream coming from that ATM investment. And it'll make it so that your income from that investment is tax-free for the first four years. So either way, you can use it. You know, that's the most conservative approach. I use it much more aggressively where I come in and I take it, you know, I, I see no need to defer it or, or, or take it over four or five years. I want it in year one. So that's the most, you know, that's kind of a, a scenario of a really aggressive approach and a really conservative approach. Uh, e either one works, but you're taking an investment that's giving you a lot of cash flow and you're controlling the tax liability on that cash flow. You know, yeah, I like to really, talk to, go ahead, Rachel. It's really important to realize that you're not just creating the stream of income, you're taking care of the tax liability at the same time. And so you're talking about doing these two jobs with one investment. And I kind of want to take the conversation to the, a little different point. So Bruce, if you had something you no, want to no, say no, there, no, go, go ahead. ahead, go ahead. So, well, Rachel, Rachel, I'll, and I'll just, I'll just say this. You never want to go into an investment just for the tax impact. You know, you, you, you got to like the investment first. It's got to be a solid investment. It's got to be one that you're comfortable with that'll build you a stream of income. And then when you pair the two, when you bring the two together and then you control that tax liability part of it, that's when it becomes a real winner. That's awesome. And I think there's two pieces of this as well. When we are talking about anything, we talk about a principle first. And then once you have a principle in mind, and you are focused on that principle, then you can figure out the strategy to accomplish the principle. And then you can figure out what products or tactics will solve that strategy and then really build that principle in your life. And so if the principle is to build towards time and money freedom, having as much cash flow and as much control as possible, and if you build your entire financial life and your entire financial system around that idea, then you can say, well, strategically, a way to have more control is to shrink my tax liability and to increase my cash flow. Oh, so ATMs are a tool to be able to accomplish that strategy for that principle. And what's really interesting as well is you're talking about investing in an asset that you know and control. You're not saying just go pick anything that accomplishes these goals that somebody else understands. You're saying you have specific knowledge, you have control. And so you're not only staying in control with the investment, you're also providing value to the people who are using the ATM machine. So let's kind of use some of these ideas. Share with us, how does the ATM investment work? Where do you place them? How do you get an ATM machine in the first place? And how are you providing value to the the property owner or the consumers who are going to be using that ATM machine. Yep. So, and, and you're right on, on the, um, on the investment thesis of, you know, the closer you get to the asset class, the closer you get to the asset itself, the better your chances of success. You're not dealing in, you know, a wall street product that can be a derivative or a derivative of a derivative. You're dealing with an asset, you know, directly. And, and the business model, to your question, the business model works something like this. Normally, there's two sorts of operators in this space. There's the mom and pop operator, and there's the institutional operator. And there's never been anybody really in between. So you're either a mom and pop or you're an institution. Um, what we do is we go out and buy large portfolios of ATMs from you know, in the institutional space. So we'll take down a large portfolio. It could be 10, 15, $20 million portfolio. 
what we what we do then is we'll bring it back down to Main Street. We'll bring it back down to individual investors who can take you know a small piece of that portfolio. Uh, so we chop it up in bite-sized pieces. We get uh, you know at one hundred and four thousand dollars per unit. One unit is is six ATM machines, um, and then individual investors can in, can invest in an institutional grade portfolio, which I don't believe has ever happened before. So I'll, I'll give you an example. So you could not go to 7-Eleven and say, hey, I'm John Smith. I got a great idea on how to monetize this little space over here right next to the to the ice cream section. Uh, can I put in an ATM machine? No, you can't do that. Hmm. But an institution like Cardtronics or, or one of the big uh, ATM players could come in and say, "Hey, we got this business model. Um, we got this plan, and we'll take you know 500 of your stores." Um, so that's how that's how that works. The other distinction is many of your mom and pop operators operate from small mom and uh, or small uh, restaurants, bars, those types of locations. I've talked to a few of them this spring and summer, and their their traffic is down 70, 80 percent. Um, when you realize what happened to the restaurant bar mm-hmm. uh, sort of um, you know situation, um, I can't say that we didn't feel any of that because we got you know airports, institutional grade location, grade mm-hmm. location. Um, Except for in, 2020 with COVID, right? In, in March, April, May, June, not so much. Right. You know, but our portfolio consists of mostly essential businesses. Many of these businesses are open 24-7. So we're talking about high foot traffic delis. We're talking about Walgreens, McDonald's, you know, those sorts of, you know, and it's also important to realize who the demographic is that you're serving. You know, when you look at who it is that you're serving, almost 100% of people who invest in ATM machines are not ATM users. We, you know, the, th- the, the three of us and probably most of your, of your users, we've converted to plastic a long time ago. We don't use much cash. Right. I can't Our remember the last time folks I pulled. we serve are not, are not, are not like us. Yeah. Interesting. Well, okay. I, you know, and, and to your point, to your point, I mean, I own several hundred ATM machines personally. I don't have an ATM card. I couldn't get cash out of them if I'd want to. So it, it's just a difference, you know, when you realize who you're serving, then you can kind of see, okay, is this investment viable? What's happening to that group of people? Are they growing or shrinking? And, you know, right now they're one of the fastest growing demographics in the country. So it has to win. It has to be a win for you as the investor. It has to be a win for the investors who partner with you. It has to be a win for the location that you're placing the ATM in or they wouldn't do it. And it has to be yep. a win for the demographic. Is there anyone else who has to win in this in this equation? I mean, I'm seeing four parties that need to all be provided value if this investment is going to work, right? Well, that that's correct, and that's how the revenue stream is split up. You've got you've got the management team, you've got the investor, and you've got the location or the store owner. And so the revenue stream gets split up in in that way. Um, it's kind of a three-way split. So, and and you know, there are variables involved, and I won't bore you with the details. Um, but that's it. And one of the other things that's really important, and it's one of the ways that what that we take a lot of risk out of the project, 
or out of the out of the portfolio or the fund is we only go into locations well about 99.5 percent of the time we're going into locations with existing atms in place so we know that location is going to deliver um we know looking over the last three to five years of history we know exactly how many transactions that location has delivered. So there's no guesswork. Like we're going into this thing. It's kind of like, it's kind of like looking at a T12 on an apartment building. You're, you want to see the 12 month history. We're getting a couple years worth of history and knowing exactly how many, how many transactions that location has delivered and what we can expect going forward. Dave, do you do anything to try to enhance the use of that particular ATM that's already been established? Like a, uh, Talk, do you have anybody that's like a logistics person that says, hey, I know you 7-Elevens are putting them here, but wouldn't it be better if they were here? And then do you do anything to draw the eye towards that particular ATM by clearing out space or putting an ATM sign strategically somewhere? Uh, do, you, do you get into that kind of strategy also with this? Great questions. Um, so, yeah, so we do not, you know, we, we don't get stuck in the back end of the story. We get, we get put in a prime location right up close to the front where you can easily see it. The other thing is um, the ATMs that we're putting out there on the street, they have a, a digital topper. It's like a video topper on top of the machine. It's a standalone unit. It's not part of the ATM machine. It's got its own, it's got its own infrastructure, but, we can deliver marketing messages and it's something that we intend to monetize very soon. And, um, you know, once you get to a certain scale, now you can go to a fortune 500 fortune 100 company and say, look, I can guarantee you, you know, 10 million impressions per month with our program that we have. And one of the things that this video topper does, it doesn't just show a message. It collects data. So you go walk into the store. I can tell you, you know, I can tell you're a white male. I can tell, you know, about what age you are. I can tell exactly how long I've held your eye contact. And that's the kind of uh, report that I can deliver to say Pepsi, Coke, uh, Frito-Lay, whatever. And I can say, look, do you want your message in Manhattan or Jacksonville or, or Miami? This is the kind of traffic I can deliver you, and we tend, we intend to monetize that in the very near future. Are these are these investments sold by PPM and subscription agreements? And then can you go through that? Um, how that's they set are up? they are. It's a it's a it's a five hundred six C Reg D, and there's a full PPM and 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 a you know subscription agreement, the full set of docs that come with it. And then what's what's the um, What's kind of like the liquidity event that you're you're anticipating? So we so the the contract period is seven years. So an investor will come in for seven years, and at the end of that seven year period, the cash flow stops. Um, we're we're selling the machine at fair market value, which is a fraction of what you bought it for. It's kind of like buying you know kind of like investing in a laptop. You're really not investing in ATM machines. You're investing in a cash flow stream and a tax benefit. So the ATM machine is just the mechanism to extract value from that piece of real estate. It's really a real estate play. Mm -hmm. It's not an ATM play, it's a real estate play. You're taking a three foot by three foot uh, space of prime real estate and you're monetizing that space. It's all you're doing. 
That's a that really interesting way to think about it because I remember Jay Massey, who we've had on the show as well, talked about the same idea with cell phone towers and billboards that you're monetizing a particular piece of real estate and figuring out the best way to do it. So honestly, I had that quick connection back to the same idea that he was using with just a different um, different tool. Go ahead, Bruce. Well, this, this is getting down in the weeds a little bit, but the CARES Act um, had some provisions where they were actually trying to eliminate cash and to digitize um, all, all monetary policy and transactions. Um, what is your thought about that going in the future with Bitcoin and all these other um, cryptocurrencies? Do you think our government in the near future anyway, um, when I say near, I mean within the next 30 years, will eventually try to get us to be totally a cash-free environment and thus, you know, uh, you'll have to pivot from this ATM uh, play? At, at some point, I would say yes. And right now, our uh, revenue comes from, solely comes from, almost solely comes from the surcharge transaction volume. So it's it's surcharge revenue. Uh, in the future, and we've got you know a number of things in play, uh, there's going to be other um, revenue sources that we can extract using this same piece of real estate. Again, we're using the real estate to extract value from the real estate, same as you would from an apartment building. When you when you build an apartment building on a piece of farmland, you know you're 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 extracting value from that piece of real estate. So yeah, so there's going to be other revenue streams coming from ATMs that's going to be, uh, we believe, are going to be highly lucrative. Uh, but right now, it's it's just surcharge volume, and that's it. We've got a number of things in play. I think the cash, uh, you know, a lot of people think the use of cash is declining and cash is going to go away in the next, you know, five years. When you look at what's really happening, there's more cash in circulation now than there ever was before. In fact, it went up more than 50% in the last decade. And, you know, then you couple that with the demographic that's growing so so uh, quickly, the demographic that we serve is one of the fastest growing demographics in the country. And, and so, you know, look, I got involved in this space in 2011, 2012. Uh, back then, it was, you know, Venmo was, you know, coming out, Google, Google Wallet, Apple, Apple Pay, Google Wallet, uh, you know, cryptos and all that stuff was coming onto the scene. And people were talking about cash going away because of all those technologies. Well, despite all of those technologies, cash grew by more than 50% in the last decade and our portfolios are doing better than they've ever done before. That's really, really interesting. And Bruce, I really appreciate the question because I think that would be on the top of someone's mind if they were interested in investing in this. I mean, you can't just look at the cash flow and even the tax strategy without thinking what other big global economic, socioeconomic factors are going to impact this investment going forward in the future. And and Dave, just what an interesting concept. I mean, I would definitely have thought that cash use was down, especially when you see the signs that please use exact change and we're not, you know, taking cash now. That was more so this year with COVID. And then we have, um, you know, Venmo and all the cash apps that you were mentioning as well. Just very interesting. What can an investor expect as they get into an investment? Is it a credit for accredited investors only? And then what are the returns that you are typically seeing with this investment? It it is for accredited investors only. You need to be accredited to to, uh, to invest in the fund. 
Um, the portfolio that we have open right now uh, is uh, it pays out twenty one hundred eighty four dollars per month. Um, what was that? The exact amount. Twenty one hundred eighty four dollars per month. When you do the math there, it's somewhere around twenty six thousand dollars per year for hundred for your hundred four thousand dollar investment. Now, when you look at that, the cash on cash return is somewhere around twenty five point something percent. Um, before you get all excited about 25% cash on cash return, you got to realize that you're losing the value of your equipment as you go along. So your real the 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 way to be real really fair when you're when you're uh, comparing it to let's say a an apartment investment or a self storage investment or something like you you got to go with the IRR. So we calculated the IRR when you consider the cash flow, the tax impact, and the loss of value of your equipment. You're somewhere just shy of twenty percent. You're you're like nineteen and chin, nineteen nineteen and a half percent IRR. That's really how you got to look at that investment when you can compare. You can't compare just by the cash flow because of the loss of value of your equipment over that seven year period. Well, and I appreciate you being really direct and, and open with that as well. If you are interested, you're listening, you're thinking this might be something that you're interested in considering. Um, remember, accredited investors must have certain income thresholds or asset requirements. So that's a million dollars in um, total net worth outside of the value of your home. Or if you're a married couple, that's income of 300000 Or if you're single, that's income of 200000 per year. So if you are in that category, this is definitely something to be looking at and have on your radar. Dave, what would you say is something that somebody would need to know or think about before getting started? Um, just know that this is a seven-year deal. It's uh, it's not liquid. You're buying into a fund that, um, you know, you, you it, this is not a liquid fund. Um, um, now, saying that, it doesn't mean that you've got seven years worth of risk. Because when you take the bonus depreciation and you take the first years, first three years cash flow, your 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 principal is at risk for about three years, right around three years. So now you got you know now you got your principal back. You uh, you got another four years of free cash flow, and um, you know you, you just gotta you just gotta look at it like that because you're you know even though the contract is seven years, your real principal risk is the first three years. That's a really good point. And I think that's a really difficult point with my clients to get them to understand because they're so much in like traditional investments, you know, a stock, a bond, a mutual fund. It's like, okay, I bought it in for this. And yes, uh, you know, I might get some appreciation or some appreciation, excuse me. Um, but then I can sell it and I can get that back right away. Um, but I, I tell people the fact that you can't really, it's not liquid for seven years is actually a good thing. Because it yeah. takes human, it takes human emotion out of it. It takes it takes the fact when things are uh, in a COVID related, you know, spiral, people don't just uh, take get away from what Rachel was saying er, earlier. Is their principles? You know, we believe in the cash flow in this situation. Uh, very similar. I think you mentioned this earlier, Dave, about um, oil and gas programs. Um, they're they're a very similar type of situation where. Um, in that case, it's even, even uh, more so you're actually, your money actually goes into the ground and, and it's, it's gone a hundred percent, but you're getting that tax benefit and you're getting that cash. And usually in about three and a half, five years, you're getting all your principal back. And then you, and then you have the cash flow, um, which is tax advantaged 
you know, for the next probably 30 years or so. Um, so there's all kinds of things out there. Uh, we're really appreciative that Dave is bringing a brand new thing to our audience. Um, because uh, if you want to get control of your life, your financial life, you really need to take into consideration uh, the tax and the cash flow benefits of many different investments. That's how you build momentum when you when you build cash flow streams and you control your tax liability and and really just use the tax law to your advantage and figure out what the government wants you to do. Um, you know whether that's whether that's buying new equipment, hiring employees. Look, if, if you're, and Robert Kiyosaki told me this one time, really got to me, got me thinking is, he said, if you're working a W-2 job and you own one house and you, you know, now you're, now you're taking your excess cash, let's say you're, you're making six figures and, and you're, you're buying a boat and a, you know, all the goodies that, that fit your lifestyle, you are selfish. And the government is going to punish you for being selfish. If you go out into the economy and you buy an apartment building or you go out and you hire employees and you go out and you and you and you help create this ecosystem, um, they'll reward you for it. That's what it's all about. And, it's, and, and as we said earlier in the show, this is not about tax evasion. This is not about loopholes and trying to screw the, the, the government. This is about figuring out what the government really wants and then go help them accomplish it. And they'll reward you handsomely for it. That's just very, very, very well said. And it's interesting too, that if you have the W2 income and the one house and all of the frills that come with it, it's also really risky because you have one source of income as opposed to having multiple streams of income and assets that are creating and kicking off that cash flow so that you can truly build time or money freedom. And with that comes time freedom as well. Dave, as we close, you are famous for saying a quote that I really love, and it is, you can be conventional or you can be wealthy. Pick one. Can you describe that and then tell us how to get in touch with you? Yeah. So look, conventional wisdom, you know, we talked a little bit about Wall Street and, and you know, conventional wisdom says that if you, you know, work at this job for, you know, 40 years and, you know, at some point get to the point where you can retire at 65, you know, then now you're going to have a good life. Conventional wisdom says that if you put your money in Wall Street, you'll get seven or 8% return. You got to invest for the long term. And at some point, you know, sometime 40 years from now, you'll be rich. You know, anytime, anytime I see the popular movement, you know, where 90% of the people are thinking one way, they're, 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 you know, and the other thing is if it's easy, it's probably mm-hmm. not good if, if it's, uh, I mean, I, I haven't had a W2 job for a long time, but they tell me that when you go sign up for a new job, you almost got to opt out of like the 401k plan or the, oh, it's, the, the, a, it's the, 100%. the, it's that's a hundred percent. We so, have a, we have a 401k team and it's amazing how they, they require them to opt out. And if yep. you don't, if you don't opt out, you immediately get put into the program on your one year anniversary date. Yeah. So look, if it's, uh, you know, and there you go, it's conventional wisdom. Mm-hmm. I just don't buy into that. I think, uh, you know, if, if you, if you want to be wealthy, you got to think outside of the box. You, you can't be thinking like everybody else. You got to think uh, unconventional. Absolutely. What I, think, what I think it's interesting is, is uh, the 401k has been around since 1979 and we've actually had Ted Benna, the father of the 401k on the podcast. 
And uh, if it did work so well, then why do, uh, on average, people only have $36,000 saved for retirement? So, you know, I think- That's a great question. Yeah. It's clearly not enough to create that life that you truly love and And, are wanting. Sorry, Rachel, you know how I get on my soapbox here. Um, I just read yesterday that uh, for the last five years, on on average, $69 billion has been taken out of 401ks from people age 50. 25 to 55. So they, they took out $69 billion on average per year and paid the penalty uh, on that. So once again, it, it's, I know that's an additional $6.9 billion of penalties that goes to the, the government for a program that is actually supposed to be benefiting, you know, the, uh, the worker. So, um, uh, Which clearly they were putting the money there for not the purpose of taking it out for the emergency that they used it for and then paid the penalty on top. It's right. not a way to set yourself up to be in control. So if you are listening, you're probably not following that advice, but if you are, um, come talk to us about it because we have a much better way. So um, Dave, can you tell our listeners how can we get in touch with you? And if somebody is interested in learning more about ATMs or investing with you, how do they do that? Yeah, so I got a full report on ATM investing, and I'd be happy to send it to your listeners. Um, our website is therealassetinvestor.com, and I'll make this real easy. If you send an email to atm at therealassetinvestor.com, I'll make sure and get your listeners the report and anything they need to make an informed decision before they, if they choose to invest in the asset class. Awesome. And when do you always have funds open or is this fund a specific time frame? So this fund will take us into right up almost the end of the year, which is December 22nd-ish. So okay. we may be able to extend it a few days, but right up until the end of the year. But pipeline looks good for early 2021. I would expect to have another portfolio open in Q1. But at this point, we're working on this current portfolio and it'll be open till around December 22nd. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of that with us today. And if you're listening, please go over to therealassetinvestor.com or email atm at therealassetinvestor.com to get that report Dave is talking about and be able to build your knowledge about this asset class that might be of very great interest to you and might be something that you would be interested in adding to your portfolio. So as we close today, Dave, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you to our listeners for joining us for this unconventional conversation. And we are fans of bringing you more unconventional conversations. And so this is one step in your journey to time and money freedom. As we've been talking about today, this is the investing portion. Before you do that, you want to look at what your cash flows are so you can plug the money leaks, keep as much of your cash as possible, protect that money, and then be able to invest in investments and assets like Dave is talking about that will produce additional income streams. So if you were, go ahead, Dave. Hey, thanks for having me on your show. I enjoyed it. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. If you're listening today, you can also go over to themoneyadvantage.com. We can do a consultation for you at no cost if you're interested in alternative investments, cash flow strategies, or privatized banking to really take control of your financial life and make all of the parts work together to accomplish time and money freedom. So we'll see you next time. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com banking, put in your name and primary email address, 
Click the send my free guide button right now and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on the moneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Cato's Capital Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Cato's Management Incorporated, and registered investment advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Cato's Capital Incorporated or Cato's Management Incorporated.